before we really get going this morning, I just wanted to point out in your bulletins, there's a survey. Um, I have a desire to always preach on something that's relevant to all of us, and uh, so go ahead and just fill that out as I'm talking. If you could sort of multitask, that would be great. Fill that out. Um, We'll have a box in the back. It'll also guide for some of our life groups. Some of our life groups have been asking, well, what do we teach on? What do we do next? And and a lot of times that comes from the life group. The life group says, we want to discover this next. But um, this might be also a good guide for some of our life group uh, teachers as well. So if there's anything on there that interests you, and there's also an other section, if you know, use any, feel free to tell me, hey, I'd love it if you preached on this. And, and this is about the time of year that I start planning for next year. So I start looking through the calendar of 2014 um, now, and I thought this might be a good way for, uh, to get some feedback from y'all on uh, this topic. As we get going this morning, I want to tell you this story. I, I, I was listening to the radio, and I like a number of different things. I like science. I like history. I like chemistry. Although I don't study any of this stuff, I just like to hear experts talk about these different areas. And, and I heard this um, human behavior specialist talking one time, and he, he, he pointed out something really interesting that we do in our own human behavior. And that is we get in what he called pot committed. And he used poker as an explanation. And I'll explain it to all you great Christians out there who have never played a hand of poker in your life and need to know what poker is. I understand you're thinking we're talking about poking a lady. It's not that. It's a card game. Um, I know some of you are just so holy that you don't understand this. So let me explain it to you. So what pot committed is, and the way that this scientist explained, or human behavior specialist, excuse me, explained human behavior is that what we tend to do is we tend to get so invested in things that we can't let them go. This is common only to humans. It's not common to any other uh, species on the planet. It's only common to humans. And all cultures, and all races, and all peoples have this same attribute. We get so attached to something that we can't seem to let it go. And the way he explained it was this. He said, in, in, in poker, you know, everybody starts by throwing out their, their bet. And I can only imagine. I don't know personally, but I'm, that's, that's a joke. We play with goldfish and stuff like that. Um, you, you throw in your, your chip, and you go around, and, and you keep playing. And you might know that you have a terrible hand, but you've just put in all these chips or goldfish in my case. You just put in all these candies or goldfish or whatever it is you're playing with, and you're thinking, man, I've just put so much in, and I know I've got a terrible hand. I know I'm going to lose, but I just got to keep going at this point. And he said, we're the only species that do that. There's no other species on the face of the planet that actually do that like humans do that. And so he was talking about that this could be a very good thing, and this could be a very bad thing. And in my, in my case, I was beginning to think about, when did I ever do this? Or when do I ever do this? Well, I had a car that I continued to repair and repair and repair and repair. My dad's here. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. And for the cost of those repairs every single month, I could have had two brand new cars. But I was like, well, I just put a couple hundred dollars into it. You know, if I just throw a couple hundred more in, then it'll be fine this time. And I got so attached to the car that I just kept putting stuff into it. And it'll just get better this time. We do this with relationships, don't we? Well, I've known this person for so long, or I've been dating this person for so long, and I'm so committed. It'll just work this time. 
before I even met my wife, I was in a relationship for, uh, the first year was great, the second year was terrible, and we both knew it. But we both said things like, well, we've been dating so long, maybe we should just try and make sure this, maybe we should just try and make it work. You know, and that's kind of the point of dating, is that you see, you try and find God's match for you, and, and we both realized that it wasn't God's match for us in that relationship, and yet we continued to go and go and go and go. And we continued to do that. And, the, and the, what happened was it ended up being this just ungodly relationship. We both ended up not liking each other. And we both ended up saying, why did we do that for a whole extra year? And we were like, we, wouldn't we rather just be friends? Yeah, all right. And we both went on our separate ways, met my wife, and, and absolutely fell in love with her. And, and it was, God just made that obvious. And I was like, wow. But we get pot committed to things. This is what the, the scientists or the, the human behavior specialist called it. He said, we get pot committed because we invest so much into something that we get committed. And like I said, sometimes this could be a good thing. People rescue, absolutely rescue their families. When people's families fall, other family members come in and take care of them. Why? Because we're invested and we're committed to that. When people hurt in our lives, when we're invested and committed to them, we jump into the rescue. Whereas a pack of wolves sees one wolf getting attacked and going to die, and they weigh the options and go, let's get out of here. I mean, we're not wolves. We're people. This is one, one thing that sets us apart from our, in our humanity from the animals. There's a lot more things that set us apart, but this is one of the things. But we get invested. And so I want to begin this morning by going through this passage of Scripture, which is Matthew 6, uh, 19 through 21. It should be up on the screens. It's definitely in your Bibles, and it should also be um, on our iPad, uh, and the Bible app, on your smartphones and, and iPad, if you, if you have that here this morning. But Jesus starts out by saying, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vernum destroy. By the way, that's a newer translation, vernum. I was looking at it in the Greek. I still agree that the word should be rust, just so you know. But the, the editors go through and weigh the different words, and what they do is they, they say, does this still mean in the English translation? Because in, in English, this is what Bible editors do. What they do is they look at the English language very carefully, and they look at the Greek language, and they say, does our underst- has our understanding of these words changed? And that's why there's new versions of the Bible, because they say our understanding of these words are different, and so we're going to change actually what it says to better relay the original meaning. So anyways, now that I'm back from that tangent, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vernum destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vernum do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I have a picture here. Let's make sure the picture gets up here. Right there. So this is a house I was in in Israel. It's a recreated house of of what it would have looked like in the time of of Jesus. And one of the things that, that they did is in this area, there's a bedroom. And then there's a little kitchen right off to the side. And they slept right underneath this little hanging board. And the hanging board is where they'd put their treasures. The hanging board is where they would put their food and, and different things that they didn't want rodents to come in because there's gaps under the door. You know, rodents could have come in and gotten them. Thieves could have broken in and stolen them. But when you're sleeping right underneath your treasure, then you'll wake up before somebody steals it from you. 
And so when Jesus was saying, um, store up uh, treasures in God's kingdom, don't store up treasures on earth, what he's meaning is, quit filling up this little basket that you sleep under every night. It would have been very, very real to the Jews. They would have really understood that, yeah, I sleep right underneath my treasures so that I can physically protect them every single night. So it was very relevant to these people. Some of you might do that. You know, you sleep with a gun under your pillow or something so you can protect your house. I just have these guns. No, okay. <laughs> Tina, that was for you. Sorry. Tina, I, never mind. It's an inside joke, but Tina always makes fun of me about how strong I pretend to be up here. I'm really not strong at all. I, I probably do like five push-ups, so in a row. <laughs> A treasure is a thing we try and keep because it's valuable to us. A treasure is a thing that we try and keep because it's valuable to us. That's what a treasure is. It's a very simple definition. What is it that you treasure? We try and keep all sorts of things in our lives. I'm sure if, just like me, if you were to go to your garage, you'd probably find little mementos and trinkets and things like that from high school. I've got like this one box that I've moved to two apartments and now into a house, and, and it still it stays in the same exact place. It's in the garage. And the, the box in it has junk from high school. It's got random keys. I've got a key to a city building um, in the city of Glendora because I was an employee there and I forgot to return my keys. They never did anything about it. Um, I, I have pictures. I have just random things. I have notes that people gave me. And, and for whatever reason, I go there and I'm like, I'm going to throw this away. But I always just put it back in the box and go, these are good memories I'll tell my kids one day. This is just how we are wired as a people. It's stuff that's meaningless to everyone else, but there's always a story behind it. And we really care about these stories more than anybody else, to be quite honest. So you probably find tons of this stuff that we assign human value and human worth to, when in reality, if you tried to put it up on eBay, I mean, it would sell for nothing. It wouldn't sell. It has no monetary value, but we put a high importance on it. But the question and the paradigm shift that I think Jesus came to to show us was what should we value? What should we put worth on? And what what importance should we put on on things or in people? Like what what is the what do we do here? And I think he came up with with this. Matthew chapter twenty two, verses um thirty-six through forty says this Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commands. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commands. And so what Jesus was saying is, I want you to value God and then value people. And he wasn't, I mean, he wants us to value this over treasures, over earthly possessions, there's this really great parable in, in Luke 16, and the parables of the shrewd manager, and, and I'll just, it would take a long time to read through it all, so I'm just going to tell you because it's a little bit faster here. But in Luke 16, what happens is this guy is sure he's going to lose his job. And so what he does is he takes the wealth that he has squandered, and he pays it back to some other merchants, so that when he gets fired from his job, he'll know he has friends in other places. He used money to make friends. In other words, he valued people over, he, over the value of money and over the value of possessions. 
Jesus knows that when we put our security in possessions, when we put our trust in things and in money, then we will always fall short because we, our trust will be in God will be second and third to money and possessions. We will always work to get money in possessions. We will always invest in getting money in possessions. But I think one of the most important commands of Jesus is to treasure God more than anything else in life. When you treasure God, treasuring your neighbor it just immediately follows. It naturally follows. We can properly treasure people when God is our first treasure and our very first investment in life. So some of you, you might be struggling with materialism. You might love money more than you love people. Maybe you struggle with that treasure. Jesus said, where your, heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So for example, what you invest in is what you're emotionally invested in as well. So would it naturally follow that if you changed your investment, if you changed where you put your treasure, your heart would also change with it? I think yes. I think the answer is yes, that your heart would change with it. Let me give you um, an example of this. When I was in, um, when I was my first couple months uh, working here, we decided we wanted to redo the youth room. And the youth rooms, were, and it's a chore, it's a task. And uh, you always walk into a room, you go, oh yeah, I could do this, I could paint this. Well, like four weeks later, six weeks later or something, it was finally, you know, halfway done. And there was this refrigerator back there, and the refrigerator was this, this, this old retro thing, and we thought, cool, it doesn't work anymore, we're going to use this to hold all of our Bibles. And it was really heavy to move around, so we got the bright idea of removing the compressor. And so I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just pinch off the lines and, and break it off. And so I did that. And, and I'm thinking this is a really good idea and thinking that I'm very wise in doing this. I, I just did that. Pinched off the lines. Nothing was coming out. I thought, this is great. And it was so heavy that I thought, I'll just drag it because this thing is too heavy to carry. And now all this Freon and refrigerant that I'm not even noticing I'm dragging all the way back up the breezeway, all the way back out to the trash can. As, as, and as I'm walking back, I see this streak of like grease and nastiness all along the breezeway. And I think, oh, I just created another job for myself. So I go to my parents, I borrow their power washer, and then I'm power washing for like eight hours because it's not a fast job. And you're power washing the whole church. And what I realized... When, after I got all that junk off, was that I love the church. Not just the building the property, but I love you guys because it helped me to invest my time in it. And I, as I invested my time in it, I grew in love with it. And that's what happens. If you invest all of your time in the stock markets, you'll grow in love with the stock markets. And then at the end of the day, you'll just have a stock portfolio which might look great, but doesn't give you any internal security whatsoever. Doesn't give you the relationships that you desire. Doesn't give you any of that stuff. Because Jesus said, where, your, where, where you put your treasure, there your heart will also be. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, in God's kingdom here and now. 
So if you spent your time giving money or investing in your own spiritual growth, what do you think you'll be care- what do you think you're going to care about? Your own spiritual growth. If you invest your time in in people, what do you think you're going to care about? People. If you invest your money in getting to know people, what do you think you're going to care about? People. There's where your heart is going to be. If you invest your time and money in getting to know God better, what are you going to get? Where is your heart going to be? In knowing God more. Let's keep going here because Matthew, uh, um, I'm sorry, Jesus uh, is really just a genius with the way he layers this, this whole argument. Matthew 6, 22 through 23. The eye, of the, lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is with you, I'm I'm sorry, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is kind of one of those cryptic verses that actually means two things, and so I'm just going to break it down for you in a very simple way. One, it, it, it means this. It means that what you invest in, you can see. Because the, the, in the Jewish world, the eye was very important about what you can see and how that leads to the heart and all that. And so what Jesus is making the argument of is what you invest in is what you see. It's funny, I never cared about the stock market when I was a teenager. But when I got my first Roth IRA and I had to start my own retirement account, I actually started paying attention to what the stock market did, right? What you invest in, you then see. You ever buy a new car and then see it everywhere? You buy the car and you think you're the only one who ever bought that car and then you drive around and you start seeing that everybody has that same exact car. Because what you invest in, you then see. And what Jesus is saying is, as you invest in my kingdom, you're going to see me work more. So in other words, think about it this way. Um, Have any of you ever said, man, I just don't see God working around me? I guess my first question would be, how invested are you in God's kingdom? Like, do you, do you literally just play lip service to, to being invested in God's kingdom? Or do you give regularly? Or, or, or do you pray regularly? Or, or, or do you spra- practice some of the disciplines regularly? Do you read your Bible on a regular basis? Do you, do, you, do you ask God to reveal what he's doing around you? I mean, do you ask God to speak to you? How invested are you in God's kingdom? If you say, oh, I just can't see anything that God is doing around me. Where's your investment? Because when you invest in things, you actually begin to see them all around you. There's numerous examples of this. The, the other meaning of this, what Jesus was talking about, is, is actually quite genius. And so here's what he's saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and that word healthy has a double meaning. It means healthy and slash generous. If your eye is healthy or generous, if you have a generous eye, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, and then that word has a, has a, 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 that word has a, a second meaning, and that means stingy. So if your eyes are unhealthy, which means stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So what Jesus is saying is that if you are a part of God's kingdom, then the most obvious reaction in your life would be generosity. That would be the most obvious reaction of your life. If you're investing in God's kingdom, the number one thing that you would see is opportunity to be generous. That's what you would see. And if you're not investing in God's kingdom, you'd probably be a little bit more stingy. 
Because you're sti- you, you'd be stingy because your security lies in the fact that you have that money built up. And that's where you place your security and your confidence. And this is what Jesus is talking about. If you're generous, then again, you're going to trust in God that as you're generous to people, God is going to be generous with you. If you're stingy, you'll trust in money. So then it's only natural for what Jesus to say, what he says next. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus points out the impossibility of serving two gods. And the other, the bigger story here is that Jesus actually acknowledges another God in the Bible. He does this here and in Luke chapter 16. Two places. The God of mammon or money. It was actually um, one of the demons that was talked about in, in the Old Testament. Very interesting thing here. The God of money. Jesus talks about the impossibility of serving this God. We labor all day long to get things. I mean, think about it, really. I mean, sometimes we labor all day long just to fulfill our regular needs, but how many times do we just, like, put away to go for something, like, really big? And that thing that's really big begins to fill your dreams. It begins to fill every moment and every part of your imagination. Now, sometimes... It's okay to get some things here. I mean, it's okay to get the, the necessities that you need to, to take your fa- uh, drive your family around, to, to um, you know, basically to live and, and all that stuff. But sometimes these things become idols in our own mind. We begin to fill our mind and it begins to fill our dreams because we work all day long and we deserve it. We work all day long and we deserve to play. I, just to be open and honest with you, I struggle with materialism. Materialism is something that I struggle with, and I try and, and, and not struggle with it as much, but it's, it's, it's a legitimate struggle in my life because I am, um, if anything, um, I I'm, get obsessive. I get obsessive over things. Like, for example, if I read the Bible, it's really hard for me to read the Bible devotionally, although I do it. It's difficult for me because I get stuck on two or three words, and then that could be an entire day in my office <laughs> studying two or three words. I get obsessive over things. And so for me, I, just a few weeks ago, I had somebody um, donate, at an organization, donate two recliners to my office. And I thought, they, they said, you know, we want you to have seating for your office. And I said, that's great. And they said, do whatever you want with them. They're, they're really expensive. Sell them if you want. And I thought, I'll sell them. And I'll get seating for four people in my office instead of having two big, bulky recliners. So I started researching, you know, what would fit in my office. And it started out innocently enough, what's going to fit in my office? And then I found myself laying in bed with my phone going on Craigslist, seeing what's, like, available, and then realizing that I now knew what kind of couch was available from like Pasadena all the way to Rancho Cucamonga and all these different spots. And I was just like, oh God, I just let this fill my brain because of my temperament. I'm kind of an obsessive person. I want to know everything about everything. I think I get that from my dad. Thanks, dad. My dad's here today. Just like to make him feel awkward as much as possible because it's fun for me. But I think God wants to break that grip in our lives. And to me, it was almost like, Dave, what are you treasuring? Do you 
treasure some upholstered pieces of fabric? I mean, or pieces of wood? Are you, are you kidding me? Or do you treasure life in my kingdom? Do you treasure relationships with people? Do you treasure seeing people come to know me? What do you treasure? And for me, it just was like, wow, God, you're right. I do treasure things. I need to loosen that grip that it has on me. And so I began to think about that. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about disciplines. And remember, we, last week we used this example of a juice box. And, and inside the juice box is the fullness of life that God has for you. The grace and the mercy and the hope and the new life. The new creation walking with God on a daily basis. The straw was like the disciplines. It was what, it, it's the activities that enable us to do what we could not otherwise do by direct action. In other words... It's the means to get all that stuff. And we had the explanation of, for me, it was easy to get that life that God wants for me because I practiced the disciplines, and so I drank of the straw. And we had Elena Swanson trying to drink, and it went all over her face. But the idea is when we practice these disciplines, God begins to wear off some things in our life so that we can be more like him. That chiseling work of God still goes on, even now. It's a process called sanctification, and it's still happens, and God wants to break these grips. And so today, what I want to simply call us to, if any of you struggle with treasures, if any of you struggle with, with, um, with either money or possessions or just putting these things above God, I want to simply invite you to do a couple things. One, decide to invest in God's kingdom. Whatever that looks like. Maybe for you, it's you've never been a regular tither, and you just simply need to say, okay, 10% right off the top, that's going to tithing. Maybe for some of you, it needs to, to be, okay, you know what? I tithe, but that's just sort of become this formality for me. And what I need to do is invest my time. Come talk to the pastor. We could get you connected with ways to spend. Trust me, we can invent new ways for you to spend your time. Um, we have tons of things that are always needing to happen and going on. And we have ways that you could personally connect with God and practice some of these disciplines a little bit more. So maybe it's one you just simply need to, to decide it hurts within you, but you need to decide to be generous. That's how you know it's the right thing, generosity. It kind of hurts within you <laughs> at first because that's God breaking the grip that it has on your soul, breaking the grip of mammon, of money. And, 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 and two, maybe it's a way that you invest your time. Or three, maybe it's practicing a new discipline, and that would be the discipline of simplicity, living life in a simple way. I'm going to go through, um, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to go through 10 ways that we could just live life in a more simple way. And um, you know what? What I'll do is I'll put these on the weekly email this next week because uh, this, uh, this survey took up our bulletin space. So I'll put these on the weekly email. That way that you guys can have them. If you don't have the weekly email, check off that you want to receive it and we'll make sure we get it over to you. So Richard Foster wrote this book called The Celebration of the Disciplines. In his chapter on simplicity, Foster listed 10 suggestions that will help you live a more simple life. This is not a formula. It's not like if you do this, this, and this, then you will get something. It's not like that at all. It's just simply 10 suggestions to be more simple with your life and so that you could spend more of your life investing in God's kingdom. The first one is this. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Ouch. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. That hurts. Number two, 
Reject anything that is producing an addiction within you. Reject anything that is producing an addiction within you. If you realize, wow, this is just creating this addictive thing, I have to go back to it, or I have to play Candy Crush for the 60 billionth time. Is that game still popular? I can't, I'm amazed that people still play it. Well, I don't know, tape your thumbs together or something. I, do something productive. Staple them to your pockets. But reject anything that is producing an addiction within you. Develop a habit of giving things away. And this is hard because, like we talked about, we get pot committed to things. We attach sentimental, we attach all kinds of value to things that are worthless. And they have a lot of value in our eyes, but the reality is that they're worthless. They have no value. So develop a habit of giving those things away to people that need them. Number four, and I think Richard Foster wrote this specifically for me. I think he was thinking of me. You don't need the latest, greatest gadget. Oh, that hurts. Especially since Apple just announced their new iPhone. <laughs> just trying to be content with the one that's in my pocket. And I will be for a while. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Borrow something. Maybe you and your friends go, oh, I, you know, I would like to... My, my buddy Richard's like this. I, I love photography. I love taking pictures. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, he, and he's like, oh, why don't we just trade lenses? You, you take this lens, I'll take this lens. Great. Borrow it without having to spend $800 on a new lens. That's quite expensive. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Instead of having to have the newest LED, LCD, whatever TV, and the latest DVDs, the latest whatever, walk outside. Go for a hike. Go for a walk. Take a drive up into the mountains. Go to the beach. Appreciate creation. Use healthy skepticism. Don't fall victim to the buy now, pay later schemes. That's always unhealthy. Number eight. Obey Jesus' instructions for plain and honest speech. Number nine, reject anything that breeds oppression of others. So there's things that you buy that actually hurt other people. So it's like, um, actually, we can get way into this because, I, I'm, like I said, I'm a nerd and I like to know everything. And I don't know everything, but I like to like, research everything. But even there's illegally mined materials in all of your smartphones, you know. It breeds oppression. And number 10, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. So maybe for you, it's a new investment. You're investing in God's kingdom financially. And because you do that, then you begin to see God at work. And you begin to say, okay, I'm going to invest in this so my heart will shift to this. Maybe it's investing your time. Or maybe it's simply saying, God, I am going to be simplistic. I'm going to reject all that the world tells me I need because I know that I simply just need you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we want to seek you first. Father, we want to know what life is like in your kingdom. And God, each one of us here at one point in our lives have been guilty for simply storing up treasures on earth. God, we store things up and we place our security in them, but we know that the only place for our confidence to rest, to truly be confident, would be in your presence. 
in the person who you are and the God that you are. So God, lead us to a point where we place our confidence in you. And God, where we lean on you for our very substance and our very need rather than trusting in money or material possessions. God, break the grip that materialism has on us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.